Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7 and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. I mean, these are the people that are building nuclear weapons. Uh, they ought to know what they're doing. Um, Tonvi and I were looking at the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Reports this last week and saw that in Oak Ridge, we had a contamination incident in early December, a serious personnel contamination incident. No word about that in the local newspaper, no word about that in any press reports. That was Ralph Hutchison. I feel like there's more and more attention being paid to nuclear weapons currently because of the whole situation in Russia and Vladimir Putin's threats especially. So I feel like the public has been more engaged on this topic recently. But at the same time, it's kind of been an opportunity for our government to double on current policies, which are reflected in the nuclear posture review that our country is really amping up nuclear weapon production. And that was Tanvi Cardale. And we will hear more from both of them and the Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance as we approach the second anniversary in the Treaty and the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. But first, my name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. We are members of Veterans for Peace. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to veteransforpeace.org. This radio show and podcast is on stations across the country thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We're also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcast, Spotify, and your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. While the mainstream media, YouTube, Twitter, and other platforms are censoring voices of activism and dissent, we will continue to share those voices who stand up against the establishment. You stand up against the military, industrial, congressional, media, corporate complex. You stand up for us, the global us. So today we have Ralph Hutchison and Tanvi Cardelay. Now, Ralph has been the leader, the organizer, the, uh, the head of coordinator. coordinator Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance. But Ralph is retiring and handing it off to Tanvi, who will be the new Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance coordinator. So uh, this is an extraordinary opportunity to have uh, this, this <laughs> torch being passed. Okay, so why I wanted to get you guys on here was we just had the um, um, we just had the webinar about preparing for the anniversary on the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. So the timing of this is perfect because this this podcast airs on the Thursday before the twenty second, which is Sunday, and so. Uh, First of all, I want you, Ralph, your, our audience is pretty familiar with you, but I'd still like you to introduce yourself a little bit and then get Tanvi to introduce herself and then tell us about the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, why it's important, why celebrating the second anniversary is so important. So, um, uh, Ralph, you want to start? Uh, sure. I'll just say... Um... You mean, you've already introduced me, Ralph Hutchison, but I've been the coordinator for the Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance um, for about 30 years, and it's way past time for me to retire and ride off into the sunset. So um, in the last couple of years, Arepa's work has focused um, primarily on the weapons uh, activities in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where we have the Y-12 nuclear weapons complex that still manufactures components for nuclear weapons. And then we've been spending more and more time working on the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that we can talk about a lot tonight. Um, but at this point, um, ARIPA, after several years of planning, is upgrading the coordinator position. Um, and so we have, as of December 1st, hired Tanvi Cardale. Um, so I'll let her tell you a little bit about herself, and then she can probably 
uh, sort of give you an assessment of where we are currently in terms of the discussion about nuclear weapons in the treaty. Thanks. Hi, my name is Tommy Cardaway. Um, I'm originally from California. I studied international security and conflict resolutions at San Diego State, so I do have a big background on nuclear weapons. And then after my undergrad degree, I went to law school at the University of San Diego. I focused on environmental law work. Um, so I've just been making that transition from you know doing private practice into kind of supporting uh, the community a little bit more of a community role, which I'm excited about. And on the Treaty of um, Nuclear Weapon Prohibition, we're on the second year and January 22nd is the anniversary of it. So we're gearing up to do some celebrations um, and kind of make the community and the public focus on the importance of the prohibition of nuclear weapons. As um, I feel like there's more and more attention being paid to nuclear weapons currently because of the whole situation in Russia and Vladimir Putin's threats, especially. So I feel like the public has been more engaged on this topic recently. But at the same time, it's kind of been an opportunity for our government to double on current policies which are reflected in the nuclear posture review because of Russia's threats that our country is really amping up nuclear weapon production. What What's in the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that's important? Why, why should be, you know, just assuming that some people, uh, a lot of people here are not going to really know what's in there. Uh, what's in it that's that's important why would the united states why the united states why should we why should we sign on reduction of nuclear arms is a big thing that's in the treaty and um it's especially important for the u.s as we're a big nuclear weapons um, producer along with russia since the cold war so we have been producing weapons at a very high rate and have an enormous stockpile. So if the U.S. does um, sign on to the treaty, that would be a big step in mm -hmm. lowering the weapons in our, our weapons stockpile. And have uh, what's the status on the number of countries that have um, approved, signed on, ratified? Mm -hmm. Well, this year especially has been a big year for the treaty. Um, there's now up to 91 sign signatures and 68 ratifications on it. So 91 countries have signed on and 68 have taken it back to their home and actually ratified the treaty. So that's pretty significant. Any of the, any of the nuclear armed countries, did they s sign on? Well, the U.S. has not. Um, and that's a big, uh, big nuclear weapon country. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I guess there's still a lot of work to be done. Yep. The one thing that's worth mentioning now, I think, is that um, we, we saw a little bit of breakthroughs this past year, um, not from the nuclear weapon states themselves. Of course, none of them have signed on. Uh, none of them have even been willing to talk about the treaty except to condemn it. But when the first meeting of states parties happened uh, in Vienna in June, uh, some of the umbrella states, some of the countries that are under our nuclear umbrella and some of the European countries that actually have our nuclear weapons on their soil attended the first meeting of states parties. So the Netherlands went, Belgium went, uh, Germany went. Um, that was a reflection of uh, not that the government leaders have suddenly said, Maybe we ought to do the smart thing about nuclear weapons, but it was a reflection of what their people, uh, the public, is demanding in those countries. And then in November of this year, the United Nations held its annual uh, affirmation resolution to affirm the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And um, the vote was 124 uh, countries that voted to affirm the treaty. Um, I think about 40 countries uh, voted no, the United States, of course, among them. 
and uh, 40 some countries abstained from voting. They stood aside from the vote. The significance there was that one of those countries was Australia, um, oh, which good. is under our nuclear umbrella, but has a new government and the polls in Australia so overwhelming support for the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So Australia didn't vote no, uh, but they and they didn't vote yes. They just stood aside. And within a week, the United States government was threatening Australia, uh, you know, saying they were putting at risk the deal we've made with them about uh, submarines and um, just warning them, don't get too close to the Treaty and the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. I found that to be very significant. Um, you know, it's, it's not a surprise to me that the United States is not embracing the treaty. We're a ways away from that. Uh, I think we can get there. But what is interesting is how frightened the United States is of this treaty. The power of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're not. They're not able to ignore it, even though they like to. <laughs> that brings us to the twenty second. What's the purpose of celebrating uh, all across the country um, the 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 second anniversary? It shows how far the treaty has gotten. Uh, just considering it's only it's been two years, so. I think it's important to celebrate that and for the community to really understand how far this treaty has gotten and kind of get public support and public engagement uh, surrounding it. And then maybe even public pressure. And I think one thing that uh, is, is a big obstacle is public awareness. I mean, how do they even learn that it exists if they're watching cable news and mainstream press. So I would think, you know, actions on the second anniversary, maybe some percentage of the mainstream media is going to feel obliged to at least cover those things. Mainstream yeah, media? I think Ton well, I think Tondi is right. I mean, it is important for us to get out in our communities because that's how our communities will learn about it. Yeah. Um, but what's hopeful for me is, um, you know, I, I got an email last week saying, hey, check out Time Magazine. Um, Beatrice Finn, the director of the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, retiring. Time Magazine did a major story on Beatrice and the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Right. So that was a pretty nice breakthrough in the mainstream media. Um I would love after January 22nd, you know, the first, the first, when the treaty entered into force on January 22nd of 2021, we had more than a hundred actions happen across the country. Surprised me, but, but people were out in the streets holding banners, um, signs, they wrote letters, they rang bells in churches, they did all these kinds of different activities. Um, and uh, I think if we can repeat or even improve increase the participation this year on the second anniversary, then we, we can write the Time magazine and we can say, hey, uh, great article you did about all the uh, nuclear abolition activism in Europe uh, with Beatrice Finn. How about in the United States where we saw, you know, Veterans for Peace in Genesee, New York? They've been out every year on the January 22nd. Um, you know, we see people from literally from coast to coast, from Canada to Mexico, uh, all across the country, people have come out in, to support the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So I think we have to make the case. I mean, the first thing is we have to do, we have to do our part. And then we can make the case mm -hmm. to the media. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think one of the other things that we have to recognize is uh, the other ways things that our government is doing. I think Tondi was talking the other day about uh, the, the budget that Congress just passed. Mm -hmm. And um, Biden's, you know, proposal for the budget is um, basically fully funding nuclear weapons programs. And it got approved. Um, everything he asked for um, was granted to him and 500 million more for pit production at the Savannah River as well. So mm -hmm. that's a massive, massive budget for nuclear weapons production. Um, how, Tony, if you can let me know, let us know how much is that budget? And that's part of the defense budget, right? Yes and yes and no. Uh, it's part of the 
it's part of the defense budget in big terms, but it's not the Department of Defense. Um, it's the Department of Energy and their little uh, built-in bomb weaponeers, the National Nuclear Security Administration. You know, the, the budget took a quantum leap under Donald Trump in his last year. It got a 25% increase when everything else in the federal budget was getting cut. The, the nuclear weapons budget got a 25% increase. We had hoped when Biden came in that we might roll that back a little bit. We didn't. Um, on top of that 25% increase, Biden gave him a, another 8% last year and then another almost 10% this year. So they have just stayed on this. You know, literally we're funding the U.S. part of a global nuclear arms race. And mm -hmm. what does this money go to? I mean, are we just... Are we building new weapons? Are we upgrading? Are we adding sites? What, what, what you know, if we've got all the nuclear yes. weapons, why, why do we need to increase the money at all? Well, well, you asked three questions there, Jim, and the, it, but we only need one answer and that's yes. Um, <laughs> the labs are busy trying to design new bombs uh, and um, under what they call the life extension program. So they claim these are upgrades. Uh, for instance, the B61 modification 12 uh, is um, being fast-tracked uh, and was scheduled to be deployed in Europe on the bases there in the next few years. But uh, now they're accelerating that and they want to start deploying the B61 modification 12 in the next year. Um, and uh, new bomb plants. So in the last decade, we've seen them uh, overhaul. At, well, they built a new bomb plant at, at Kansas City to make the electronic components for nuclear weapons. Um, and they are expanding that facility now. They want to double its size. Uh, and they're building the uranium processing facility in Oak Ridge to handle the highly enriched uranium part of the bomb, the secondary, the, the H-bomb part. Uh, but what they haven't uh, had the capacity to do since 1988 is make the plutonium pits. And the plutonium pits are small atom bombs with a very important role. They're the trigger. They start the whole uh, thermonuclear bomb process. Uh, but we haven't had the capacity to make those since Rocky Flats was shut down in 1988. Um, in the last couple of years, the government has said they want to the capacity to make 80 plutonium pits a year by 2030. They're not going to make that uh, deadline, but in order to do it, they want to they want to expand plutonium pit production at Los Alamos, and they want to build a brand new plutonium pit bomb plant in Savannah River in South Carolina, just upstream from where Harvey is. I'm sorry <laughs> to say, um, <laughs> and that's what Tondi was referring to uh, in the Biden budget. Um, he was funding all of these programs and. Congress, in its infinite wisdom, decided to give him an additional half billion beyond what he asked for, for the uh, plutonium pit facility at Savannah River. Now, our friends are challenging that with a lawsuit. Um, Tom Clements, uh, Georgia Wand, uh, Tri-Valley Cares in Livermore, California, and Nuclear Watch New Mexico in Albuquerque, in Santa Fe, rather, uh, have, and a couple of other uh, local citizens groups in South Carolina have filed a federal lawsuit uh, similar to the one that ARIPA filed in one a few years ago. Um, and it's been sitting in a, on a judge's desk uh, since September of 2021, so more than a year, while they're waiting to um, just to get the first hearing, really, uh, in the lawsuit. So there is a challenge. Um, but uh, as far as the government is concerned, full speed ahead. New bombs, new bomb plants, uh, new everything, and faster. And faster. <laughs> and it, it, it still boggles my mind and that um, what you were saying earlier, that all these improvements are not part of the defense budget. They're actually part of the Energy Department budget, which means that the public may hear of these huge increases in defense spending over 800 billion dollars now and what you're talking about here what we're talking about here does not include that for christ's sake that that is just 
shocking to me. Well, uh, you know, you, you talk about all the accelerating plans, but and I'm, I'm slightly reassured from reading your last newsletter about the UPF in Elk Ridge. <laughs> They're not going to make their projected dates or budget <laughs> or any close to it. Well, I think the one thing that we can count on uh, up to a certain point is the National Nuclear Security Administration is very reliable. Um, they have been in every major construction project they've done since they were founded in, uh, I think, 2000. Um, and that is, they're always many, many years behind schedule and many billions of dollars over budget. Right. Um, every major facility, including the uranium processing facility, bomb plant in Oak Ridge, right. has made the high risk list of the Government Accountability Office. I used to say they can't do anything right. That's the one thing we can count on. But my friend Tom Clements at Savannah River corrected me. He said, he said, well, they're really good at one thing. And I said, well, yeah, Tom, what's that? And he said, well, they're really good at taking uh, taxpayer dollars and giving them to private corporations. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had to agree with Tom, unfortunately, on that. And there's no accountability when they go over budget or... No, although I was... I was pleased this week, the Government Accountability Office um, released a report on the plutonium pit uh, plans, and they condemned the Department of the NNSA and said uh, they don't have a, a realistic plan and they haven't provided realistic budget numbers. And when I saw that report come out, I thought, well, who's listening, though? Right. Uh, it turns out it, it did get picked up by the Washington Post and several other major uh, media outlets. So maybe they'll get a little bit of attention to the the disarray that happens. I mean, these are the people that are building nuclear weapons. Uh, they ought to know what they're doing. Tonby and I were looking at the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Reports this last week and saw that in Oak Ridge, we had a contamination incident in early December, a serious personnel contamination incident. No word about that in the local newspaper, no word about that in any press reports. And that's a that's a hard thing, because if they can operate with impunity, if nobody is holding them to account, they've demonstrated mm -hmm. that they're willing to cut corners, uh, that mm -hmm. they that they don't have good management practices. I mean, all of those kinds of things. It's, it's a very dangerous situation. The production of nuclear weapons in this country, it's not just about threatening other people. We're threatening ourselves when mm -hmm. we do things in a haphazard way with such significantly dangerous materials as plutonium, tritium, highly enriched uranium, uh, lithium deuteride, all those kinds of uh, things that are casually apparently being used at our nuclear weapons plants. How did you find out about that incident? Well, the, the defense nuclear facilities, there are only a couple of agencies that have any oversight capacity at all. Uh, but one of them is the Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board. And we have two inspectors on site at Oak Ridge and they publish a weekly report. So significant safety issues uh, get reported through the DNFSB and about a month later they get posted on their website and we have a chance to look at them. Would that include the, include the Savannah River plant? Uh, yes, I am not sure right now. I think Savannah, there are only five or six sites that have on-site inspectors that are there yeah. every every day and file a weekly report. And yeah. the other sites get visits every month or so. Okay. Um, but I think Savannah River is one of the sites that has a on-site inspector. So the DNF Safety Board does have, you said they have a website? Yeah. Defense Nuclear Facility Safety Board. So it's dnfsb.gov. Okay. okay. But that was that was put on their website that and absolutely nobody picked it up. Nobody in the media picked it up. Yep. And that that's a disaster and that's that's irresponsible <laughs> on the part of the media. Well, and, we've been saying that about the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons too. Yeah. You, you know, know, it's irresponsible for the media to pretend that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, we're looking forward yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why it's so important for people to come out on the 22nd of January. Um, we're hoping to make it like an annual event uh, for the nuclear abolition community to realize that January 22nd is our day, that we're going to call attention to the threat of nuclear weapons, and we're going to call attention to the treaty, 
Um, we want to get to the point where people are calling it January 22nd <laughs> because we're talking about the ban treaty. <clears throat> yeah, um, January 22nd. Okay. And, uh, I mean, my hope is your radio show goes out to more than veterans, but a lot of Veterans for Peace people are listening to this radio show. I mean, I think every chapter um, or even individuals should be doing something on January 22nd. Uh, and right. we have suggestions and ideas. The Nuclear Ban Treaty Collaborative has posted a whole lot of resources. People can uh, get banners made, signs, uh, fact sheets, uh, media release templates, uh, sample letters to the editor, sample letters to uh, congressional representatives. Um, it, all of those things are on uh, nuclearbantreaty.org. If you go to nuclearbantreaty.org, the first thing you see is a button that says resources for January 22nd. It, and you can go in there and there's filters that say you just want to look at banners. There are four or five different banners. You can click banners and you'll see those. Uh, the other thing that you'll see when you get there is another button that says uh, report. Uh, share, share your actions or tell us what you've been doing. So just as important as doing something on January 22nd is to report back on the 23rd what it is that you did. A photograph, mm -hmm. uh, some documentation, a little report on, on what you were involved with. And you can put that on the website there, or you can put it on the Facebook page, which is Nuclear Ban Treaty Collaborative. Uh, it's a Facebook group, actually, um, and anybody can post there. Um, so we're hoping that people will post uh, in one of those two places or both of them. Uh, picture of what they were doing. Great. I know now, Ralph and Tonby, we're going to try and do a little march on the 21st. So we're not actually on the 22nd. Is that okay? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfectly fine. I shouldn't have asked permission. <laughs> no. uh, it's a good question, Jim, because... Um, we're doing our thing in Oak Ridge on the 22nd because we're going to be out on a busy street uh, holding a sign and there will be a lot of people that see us. Um, and then we're going to go over to the bomb plant and hang flags along the, the fence line there. Um, but like Tri-Valley Cares at Livermore, California, they always do stuff at Lawrence Livermore Lab. And the lab's closed on Sunday. Uh, so they're doing their thing on Friday, the 20th. Um, and, and I think it's great. If it's an entire weekend of actions happening all over the country, that's all the better. Excellent. Excellent. Now, and, and we've been talking about the uh, Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons and the celebration on the two-year anniversary. Um, and it's important to get the word out. Uh, Harvey just saw a letter that was uh, through email Harvey, tell us about that letter that you were looking at. Um, yeah, this was sent by our No Nukes group, uh, Jerry Kahn, and it was a letter from, uh, it's called uh, Nuclear Ban U.S. Uh, I assume you're familiar with them. Uh, and it's a letter to President Biden on why he needs to <coughs> uh, support the, the Ban Treaty. And it had a lot of interesting arguments that seemed very persuasive to me. <laughs> but uh, one thing it mentioned that I was really not aware of is something called the U.S. Law of War Manual. I assume you're familiar with that. But it's basically a, a compendium of, of all the uh, international uh, <clears throat> laws like the Geneva Convention, et cetera, that have to do with war. <laughs> and uh, one of the uh, statements within that manual is that uh, the U.S. and any other country is bound by any treaties related to war, whether they ratify them or not, if uh, this treaties uh, represent a consensus of international public opinion. If so, they are bound to uh, uh, bound by those treaties. So, uh, since when has being bound by a treaty changed anything we do? But <laughs> I just thought 
I wasn't aware of that. So I was wondering if you had a reaction to that, Ralph or or uh, Don V. So Harvey, you're, you made me think of a few years ago when the Transform Now Plowshares uh, activists were going to trial in Knoxville. Um, yes. We brought down an expert witness named Charles Moxley from mm. Fordham uh, University. And Moxley testified, of course, the judge wouldn't allow his testimony to be heard by the jury, but he testified uh, that the use of, and threat of use of nuclear weapons actually violates uh, U.S. military policy yes. um, you know, in a number of different ways. And he captured his book is called Nuclear Weapons and International Law in the Post-Cold War World. Mm -hmm. um, but he documents it, you know, nine ways to Sunday that this violates our own policies of war. Yes. So that that's why um, that's why just getting out with some banners and some flyers and whatever is so important because we are overtly violating our own our own law, our own edicts. We're also violating a a not a consensus, but at least uh, a majority of the. The people in the world, as far as the the treaty, um, so that's why it's important. And um, since Tanvi is new to Tennessee, I I want to let you know what I did last year. Um, I had uh, a, uh, a just a poster that asked the question, and I was just targeting it at kids, but the question was name the country slash countries who have used atomic weapons on during as an act of war on a civilian population so it was country slash countries and then i i listed the i listed a bunch of countries i listed um united states china russia iran israel um Maybe one more, maybe not. North Korea. Oh, North Korea. I forgot North Korea. Yep. And then I would give little stickers. And for every kid uh, who tried to answer the question, uh, they would get a they would get a piece of candy. All right. Well, it ended up that I was actually asking a lot of adults the question. And Normally, the first answer, the first answer was either China or Iran. <laughs> now, Iran doesn't even have nuclear weapons. But here we are. This is the this is the level of knowledge from the public, which is a failure of um, public schools. And since all I can say is I'm talking to a, to a popu population in Tennessee, um, whether that would happen in Kentucky or Arkansas, probably. Um, but that's the challenge. And that people were so shocked when I would explain, no, only one. Mm -hmm. And we it. We're the only ones to have used atomic weapons on a civilian population um during any time during wartime during any time and people just don't realize that we're in there are a couple of other things i think um that are happening in january as well related to nuclear weapons um and i think tondi had those on her list of things to talk about um there are a couple other things so the um a bill is being introduced in the House um, by the end of January 31st by McGovern. And this one calls on the president to embrace the goals and pro pro provisions of the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons and to make that nuclear disarmament the basically the centerpiece of US national security policy. It also calls on the US to lead a global effort to prevent nuclear war. So that's a big bill that's um, being introduced. And the second one um, is the Doomsday Clock announcement. So the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board 
chooses a doomsday clock time that reflects the state of existential threats, nuclear weapons being one of them. And this is being reset January 24th at 10 a.m. Eastern time. And the bulletin is inviting groups to use this year's clock announcement to engage the community um, on this issue, maybe do watch events or local actions. The bulletin is providing a media toolkit if groups are interested in doing something. There's also a link to um, this broadcast that the bulletin is providing if groups are interested. Uh, has anybody out there got the uh, scoop on what it's going to be? <laughs> They're not saying that, Harvey, because it <laughs> is a scoop. Right. Is a scoop. And how, how, well, I was just wondering, how can we find that link and um, and try and, you know, maybe coordinate an action? I think if you go to Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, um, you'll find they have a media person now, John Pope, who used to be with Rethink Media, and he's really working to expand. I mean, I think it's a brilliant opportunity because the doomsday clock setting already gets not only national media attention, it gets international media attention. Um, and so they've invited us sort of to piggyback on that. One of the things they're uh, asking people to consider is having watch parties. So get together either by in person or by Zoom with some of your friends, 10 a.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Central time. Uh, they'll be central because they're in Chicago, I think. Um, and uh, watch the Doomsday Clock announcement. Um, what we're doing here in Oak Ridge, in Knoxville, because we're gluttons for punishment, we're going to try to do a... So we'll find out at 10 a.m. on the 24th what the new time is, we're going to do a media event at midnight on the 24th um, to emphasize where the hands are. Uh, I think it's inevitable that they're going to move closer to midnight, given what Vladimir Putin has done since last January 24th. And right now they're at 100 seconds. That's the closest they've ever been in the 75 years that they have had the doomsday clock. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're going to break that Sadly, we're going to break that record uh, as a very real representation of the level of threat that nuclear weapons pose uh, to the world, to us. Well, I hope uh, a few people like uh, Lloyd Austin and uh, Secretary of State <coughs> Blinken. Uh, Blinken, 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 and Nod, right? Anyway, yeah. I hope they'll pay attention because we're not just talking about Putin. We're talking about Taiwan. We're talking about, uh, you know, ratcheting up of tensions with North Korea and include exercises that will include nuclear weapon uh, scenarios. Uh, <clears throat> it's everything we mm -hmm. do uh, lately seems to be uh building to confrontation like that's that's the goal so but but i want to get your perspective because you know when when russia invaded ukraine last february and there was this real fear right away right away will it escalate into a nuclear conflict and there was a lot of folks discussing you know what is russia's nuclear policy what would be the u.s response and you know all of these things that seems to have died down we got through the nine say nine months and no and the world is still here the nfl has got its playoffs and every you know everything's right with the uh with with america um for the privilege that uh, <laughs> that we have and so uh what do you think, what do you actually think the, the, the danger is? What should we really be looking at and worried about? I mean, I think there is still a great danger um, with what Vladimir Putin is doing and the invasion of Ukraine and everything, um, just because media attention has died down or Americans are fixated on other things or just not paying as much attention. I don't think the actual danger has diminished in that situation yeah i think the secondary danger is our complacency yeah um because in the real world 
the the actual danger of Putin doing something devastatingly uh, foolish uh, is increasing the more he is cornered. Uh, you know, the more it looks like he's not winning, um, he's going to be tempted to try to redeem himself, uh, at least in his own eyes, um, by uh, exercising basically his last resort. I, I mean, I think that's a very real risk. I, I think we would be fools not to contemplate that he is capable of doing that. You know, I even think over the last 11 months, you know, wantonly violating the, the Geneva Conventions and every rules of war, and, and people are just, it's becoming normalized uh, in some ways. Um, so I think mm -hmm. it's very dangerous. But I also think, you know, the uh, the minister, defense minister in Ukraine the other day who said Ukraine is a de facto member of NATO. I mean, imagine if Cuba announced they were a part of the Warsaw Pact or Mexico. What would the United States uh, be inclined to do in response to that? So I think we're not out of the woods in the danger of, you know, that kind of escalation too. The answer has to be something different than the status quo, and it has to be something way different than validating Putin's invasion of Ukraine. But it's time for diplomats to get in there and start doing some hard work to try to resolve this as far as possible, put things back in the boxes where they belong. Yeah, diplomacy seems to have been shelved for the time being in the Biden administration. Everything they do with regard to Russia or China or North Korea has to do with sending weapons. It's yeah. a hard thing, I think, because we don't want to reward Putin for what he did by saying, let's have negotiations during which we'll make some concessions to you. But it's a hard thing. It's not an impossible thing. And we should be willing to look at our professional diplomats and say, you guys, you guys can do hard things, right? <laughs> I mean, it's been your whole life and your whole career. Yeah, they had an opportunity to do some negotiating before there was an invasion and they yeah. refused to consider any of Russia's proposals. So uh, maybe they nope. have second thoughts about how they how they handled that. I don't I don't know, Harvey. I mean, I it, you people <laughs> in the Veterans for Peace know better than I do. But you look at at uh, at North and South Korea. We're still playing provocative war games down there. It sure. doesn't look like we've learned much of anything. We we know that pushes North Korea's buttons. It's, we're like teenagers messing with our parents. We know which buttons to push, and we keep pushing them and pushing them, <laughs> and uh, then somebody lashes back out and says, like, whoa, what was that about? You know, and as relieved we all are uh, that Trump isn't president, when he was president, he went to North Korea and there were no missiles fired by North Korea after he visited. And he, you know, he suspended these war games that uh, that are basically rehearsals for the invasion of North Korea. And uh, it actually improved the situation significantly. I don't want to give him credit for it, but it, it worked. <laughs> so. well, I think there was in his utter ignorance of diplomacy yeah. <laughs> and, and just being a blunt talker, he every once in a while stumbled on the truth. That's right. So, uh, uh, Putin had those people poisoned, his adversaries poisoned in Europe. Yeah. And Trump was like, hey, our hands aren't clean. <laughs> when have we had a president who said something like that? You know, our country's still denying... Pinochet, uh, right. you know, and what we did down there. So, but Trump was like, well, he probably doesn't know our history, but he knew it enough to know that we're not the clean hands people. Yeah. The other issue that hasn't been talked about that much is the new uh, nuclear posture review, which we, have, we were all looking, waiting for Biden to issue. He was due to do that in January, never did. Now it's finally out, but it's part of the overall defense posture. But from someone who campaigned on reducing the role of nuclear weapons to just deterrence, this new position basically argues for uh, that it would be appropriate to use nuclear weapons against a non-nuclear state mm -hmm. if the vital interests of the United States or the vital interests of one of their allies or partner. <laughs> I mean, how low do you set the bar for first use of a nuclear weapon? And in fact, it may have been the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists who summarized that position as terrifying. <laughs> I know them or another uh, similar group. But 
it's always been our policy, whether we state it or not, that we'll use our nuclear weapons whenever we feel like we need need or want to use our nuclear weapons. And a lot of people think, well, the taboo or the immorality of it would constrain us, but that's not what the historical record indicates at all. And we have used them, but it's like Daniel Ellsberg said, if someone points a gun at your head and says, give me your money, they're using that gun whether they shoot it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and so it it's nuclear blackmail, but that's still using the nuclear weapons. Well, I would like to think when the doomsday clock gets reset that maybe uh, it wakes up somebody in the Biden administration. They'll know it. And that maybe they reconsider the nuclear posture. And if they do, I hope they pull out the Veterans for Peace nuclear posture review because you guys did an amazing job, a deep dive, yeah. um, a lot of very common sense and a lot of, well, a lot more sane than what the current nuclear posture review is. Uh, it would be nice if, if that got some attention. It would yeah. be nice. And it didn't, didn't get, well, very, it got very little traction and none in the mainstream media, but uh, you know, some of the progressive media, they, they did pick it up and we did get, uh, we did, were mentioned in a number of our articles, antiwar.com and things, but uh, you're right, Ralph, that was a really good document. And it was just, it's it's frustrating when you do some you work hard you do something good and it gets little or no attention and i know you've felt that over the years ralph and um but you keep smiling and you keep going on one of the things i think jim that the ban treaty has done is it's it's provided us with a new opportunity to go out and do what we've needed to be doing all along which is grassroots organizing one of the reasons that the media doesn't pay any attention to us is because they don't have to. There are not enough of us making the right kind of noises to get the media to pay attention. That's the same reason why our congressional representatives, you know, they're paying attention to uh, one of two things, either money or votes. Uh, we don't have the money Bechtel and Lockheed Martin have, and we mm. don't have the votes. Mm. Uh, we're never going to have the money, I don't think. But we can, through organizing, start to build the kind of political constituency that requires that attention be paid. Um, and I think that's what uh, January 22nd is a, is a really great opportunity for us to do that, not only to do our own actions, but to, to talk to other people about them too. This is gonna be the third year that we're celebrating the nuclear ban treaty on, on its entry into force anniversary. And we want this to be a day when we confront the nuclear threat and this is key, and we highlight the only path there is away from the nuclear abyss. The nuclear buildup, the global arms race, the bigger budgets, for, none of those things are going away from the nuclear abyss. They're moving us closer to it. Right. This treaty is the only path that we have. Um, so January 22nd needs to be a day when we call on our leaders to abandon the insane nuclear policies and to embrace a hope for the future. I keep remembering years ago, I read a piece, I think it was in 1995, so a lot of years ago, but it stuck with me. A piece about nuclear abolition in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It was written by Bernard Lown. He's a heart surgeon in Boston. He's, he's since died. But he was one of the founders of the International Physicians for the Prevention of Nuclear War that won the Nobel Peace Prize. And at the end of this article in JAMA, he wrote, uh, our political leaders will never respond to the incessant beckoning of history. They will act only when an informed and aroused public persistently clamors for change. Mm -hmm. And that's still yeah. true. Yeah. When it comes to creating the change that's mm -hmm. gonna end the threat of nuclear weapons forever, I think we today are in the vanguard. It's up to us to act. When we act, we have to tell people we've acted, we have to share our actions, and we have to recruit other people to join us. That's the movement we have to build that will ultimately compel our leaders, give us the future free of nuclear weapons. I think January 22nd, 2021, two years ago, the day this treaty entered into force, one day will be seen as the day when the world turned away from the false promise of nuclear weapons. This turning will never be attributed to any of the so-called world powers. Uh, it was a coalition of small nations, non-aligned states, people who stepped out of the shadows of the great powers to demand a right to live free of the fear of nuclear weapons. When we stand with them on January 22nd of this year, 
we're putting our shoulder to that work of the great turning. You know, I think for me, it's an honor to think that I'll be standing shoulder to shoulder with some of you, uh, the actions that you're doing on Friday and Saturday and Sunday this coming weekend. I think what we're doing is nothing less than trying to save the world for our children and our grandchildren, and not just them, but for all creatures, you yeah. know, great and small. So it will be exciting to see what happens. I really appreciate you guys uh, giving us a microphone to talk about the treaty. I know you've been doing it and doing it. You're, you're among those who have been persistently clamoring for change. Uh, we're going to keep it up and we're going to recruit other people until we start to see some of that change happening. And where can people find those resources again? So go to nuclearbandtreaty.org um, Nuclear. and you'll see a button right on the page as soon as you get there. Okay. Now, Ralph, we did mention earlier that you are retiring and Tanvi is picking up the tort that is being passed. Uh, so, Ralph, I know this won't be parting words, but as the head of Arepa, do you have any parting words? And then I want to I want to get Tanvi's vision for what she's going to be doing. How well, I'm glad to say that in terms of the transition Arepa is making in leadership, we're upgrading um, <laughs> and it's high time. Tanvi's been here for about a month and she's already been taking over for me and doing a great job. So that's exciting for me to see that the, our organization continues, but even more importantly, that the work continues. I'm hoping to, to keep on working on the ban treaty stuff with the Nuclear Ban Treaty Collaborative so that I can still keep my hand in the work, but I won't be under her feet or looming over her uh, shoulders while she's doing her work. You know, I think for me, Jim, the reason that I haven't gotten tired of doing this over 30 years is because of the community of people that, that I've been privileged to work with. And that includes you guys and other Veterans for Peace. We had a Knoxville chapter active here. We have Middle Tennessee chapter active. Um, we're supposed to do a talk with them on the 14th of February this year. People in the Alliance for Nuclear Accountability, people in the Ban Treaty Collaborative. And then on, on January 23rd, I'm going to see reports coming in from people I've never met or seen before who, have, who are do, taking actions about the Nuclear Ban Treaty. That's really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I think this is the best opportunity we've had in decades uh, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is a tool, you know, I, I often say in our, in our time of greatest peril, we have been given our most powerful tool, but it's, it has no power at all unless we use it. So just extraordinary, Ralph, just extraordinary. So, all right, Tanvi. I'm so excited to get started on this. And my main goal in this is to kind of expand the movement, expand the audience, and bring more young people um, involved, more youth engagement, especially maybe at college campuses, because there's so much activism usually going on at college campuses. And I think even like the generation below me, the college students are so intelligent. The things that they can bring to the table are amazing. So I do want to get more people involved while also not leaving behind everyone that Ralph, you know, has worked with and recruited to the cause. And um, I also want to get more people of color involved, especially since nuclear um, nuclear weapons is a big environmental issue and people of color are disproportionately affected. So, you know, kind of connect with um, that community in Knoxville is a big goal of mine as well. Tanvi, did you have anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? I think Ralph covered it all, um, especially at the end. I think um, grassroots movements are such an important part of our society and such an important way to kind of put pressure on the government and really make sure that like we're involved um, in a democratic society. So I'm really excited about joining ARIPA and all the work that they're doing. I have to ask, Tanvi, mm -hmm. since, you're, since you're young, mm -hmm. uh, how are you going to stay focused on just ARIPA when you're in Tennessee and our state legislature is as draconian as you will find out if you haven't already. Jim, we're trying to keep her here for a little while. <laughs> anyway, you already I'm had sorry. to never mind. the first day of work. I know. Never mind. Welcome to paradise. <laughs> there you go. I'll stay positive. 
Yeah, that's right. That was the best. You know, I, I will say, Jim, that over the years of working for ARIFA, you know, I've also been able to be active on death penalty issues and on um, uh, anti-racism work here and on some of the immigrants' rights stuff. So Atonvi will get a chance to branch out. You know, once she gets feels really on solid ground with ARIFA, she'll be doing other stuff too. Um, we're really lucky in Knoxville that we got her here. You know, in Tennessee, Tennessee uh, was home of the Highlander Center for many decades. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Um, that was oh, good lord, I forget his name. Miles Horton. Yeah. Yeah, Miles Horton. So. And I don't know, Ralph, did you realize that we're now the Hector Black chapter of Veterans I think Peace? I did hear that, and I'm really excited that you are. I have, well, just enormous respect for Hector Black. He was an amazing yes. human being. And certainly death penalty. Yep. Uh, yeah. So huge there. Both Hector and Susie, yep. Yeah, that's right. Both. You have been listening to our conversation with Ralph Hutchison and Tonby Cardillet of the Oak Ridge Environmental Peace Alliance. And you can follow and support what they have been doing and what they will do by just going to arepa.org. That is O-R-E-P-A.org. With that, there is one more item of business to take care of before we sign off. So we normally end with a song and Ralph is a good singer. I don't know about you, Tonvi, but uh, <laughs> you don't you don't have to sing. But what type of song, if you could recommend one, would you like to end the show with that kind of relates to what we've been talking about? You know, a song that I really like that I think you could probably pull off of uh, iTunes or wherever is Arlo Guthrie singing All Over the World. Okay. Because yeah. the movement for the nuclear ban treaty is, I mean, we yeah. talk about it, the United States. This is where we live. This is our work to do. But it's a yeah. global movement, and it is happening all over the world. Um, and it's nice to be part of that community, too. And it keeps it positive. Yeah. That's, That's right. Yeah, Arlo's great. I was watching the news tonight And all over the world People were singing and carrying signs All over the world Everybody walking hand in hand Through cities that I've been And though I'm not there tonight You know I'll be back again I'll be back again I'll be back again I'm on a plane tonight for Germany And all over the world there are lots of people just like you and me All over the world who know the bomb must never fall again All over the world we must all learn how to live as friends All over the world Japan